Hi, I'm Rick from Toronto. My name's Anika Adalifu. I'm calling from Harlem, New York. Hi, I'm Ben from North Carolina. This the Sound of Young America is an independent production. Supported by listeners like you and me. If you'd like to donate to support the show, visit MaximumFun.org and click on Donate. Okay, thanks a lot, guys. Or, I don't know, whatever. Jesse's on that one show. But anyway, it's a great show, and I love it. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, I'm Jesse Thorne, and this is The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org. Radio sweetheart, on the airways, it's The Sound of Young America. Maximum Fun, Maximum Fun, Maximum Fun. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the British comedy writer, director, and performer Armando Iannucci. He's got a new film coming to U.S. theaters called In the Loop. Before we get to the interview, let's hear a segment from On the Hour, the radio news parody that made Armando Iannucci's name in the comedy world. You should see, you should see his hair this morning. It looks like a sort of dead mouse has landed on his head. There's been an earthquake in Corinth. The city has been devastated by a large shift in the Telemachos fault which underlies the area. Our disaster correspondent Roger Blatt is on the line now. Roger, what now punctures the sky like the shattered teeth of some giant vanquished boxer? A line of broken tower blocks now punctures the sky like the shattered teeth of some giant vanquished boxer. A boxer whose face has been punched to pieces from the inside. Just 12 hours ago, this historic city, which since landing here this morning, I've come to regard as my home, was blissfully unaware that the mighty bank of the Telemachus Fault was about to call in its terrible loan. That bill contained not only the vast debt of destruction, not only the massive compound interest of falling buildings and cracks in the ground, but the inevitable surcharge of severed limbs, crushed bone, and diabolical pain. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest Armando Iannucci is virtually unknown here in the United States, and he's hardly a household name even in his native United Kingdom. In the comedy world, though, his work is legendary. So legendary that the Times of London recently called him, and I quote directly, one of the towering, defining powers of the past half-century of British comedy, perhaps the greatest puppet master of mirth we've ever known. His contributions to the comedy world have been many. In the 1990s, he helped create The Day to Day, a vicious satire that took the banalities of television news to their absurd extremes. Among the characters on that show was comedian Steve Coogan's arrogant and idiotic sports reporter Alan Partridge. Coogan and Iannucci then took that buffoonish sports reporter and set him adrift in the real world in the sitcom I'm Alan Partridge. That show became one of the most acclaimed British comedy series of all time, and its awkward, uncomfortable humor was a seminal influence on comedies thereafter, including shows like The Office. More recently, Inucci has taken aim at the political spin machine with the series The Thick of It, which is set amongst the PR flax for an overwhelmed minor cabinet minister. Several of the stars of The Thick of It have now taken to the big screen in Iannucci's first feature, In the Loop, which tracks the parallel incompetencies of the American and British governments in the run-up to a war that is very, very similar to the war in Iraq. 
And uh, the movie is also super, super, super funny. Armando, w- welcome to The Sound of Young America. It's so great to have you on the show. Well, thank you very much. It's great to be here. I'm After that introduction, I'm scared to meet me. <laughs> Just, um, <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about um, the very beginnings of your career. You, you quit a prestigious PhD program. Uh, and you're, in order to pursue a career in comedy, and, and your first big breakthrough project was the radio show on the hour and uh, the television version of that show, um, a show which is one of the funniest things I, I've ever seen on a television called The Day to Day. Tell me a little bit about how you and Chris Morris conceived this show that skewered the news without being even the slightest bit topical right well american news is always um much louder and faster than than british news british news is likes to think of itself as being quite sedate i'm talking about television news coverage uh, and they have lots of um uh, slightly eloquent but rather dull uh reporters standing outside buildings saying nothing much um in about the early 90s when when we made the series, there was a, a, a new brand of, of radio news and then television news that, that, that took aspects of news like graphics and music and much, much shorter sort of soundbitey reports. I, I suppose it's the sort of the staple of things like CNN and, and Fox, really, um, and try to inject them into their main into the main uh, broadcasts and it just always seemed a bit odd because you know we we have these very staid uh, benighted newsreaders um who suddenly the, the 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 broadcasters made you know stand up and shout headlines out and point to uh, cgi graphics that weren't there in the studio and it, and they just looked very very uncomfortable and i just thought that was a funny there was a something funny about the low-tech meets high-tech uh, world colliding, really, and also the sort of the importance that news presenters um, gave themselves. And, and it grew more and more with, with the advent of 24-hour news, this, this fact that the news, the newscaster drives events rather than just reports events. So, so it was that, really. It was this sort of the gigantic ego behind the news. More now on that drama beneath the waves. We've just heard that the day-to-day has a live link with the submarine stuck a mile below the surface at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. Crewman Chesney Christ is on the line now. Hello, Chesney. That's McDonald's. Hello, Chesney. Who? How is everybody down there? Oh, we're getting on pretty well. We're uh, we're kind of busy right now. Is water getting in anywhere? Water? Yes. Uh, this, 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 this is a McDonald's restaurant, sir. <laughs> keep the spirits up, that's right. Yeah, we keep the spirits up, oh yeah. Oh yeah, woo! Tell me, uh, what can you see from where you are? Can you see any fish? Also, I was looking for another way of doing jokes, really. Uh, uh, another, f- for, you know, you've got the sitcom or you've got the sketch show. Um, I just thought it might be nice to, to find a format that felt very real and took itself very seriously and, and had all the production values of of the thing it was trying to mimic. It seems like you were very fearless in terms of the extent to which you were willing to let the content rather than the presentation be 
just completely insane. Well, yes, but then what you've got to do is not um, not dress it up with um, you know raised eyebrows and and knowing looks. So you're not selling it as a joke. If you're selling it as real, but in fact it's daft, then the more real and the more serious you are, the more poor-faced you are, then I think the funnier it is. I mean, and you know, it's not far from the sort of thing that Leslie Nielsen does in the you know the police police squad movies and 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 um, a, a, a naked gun and so on. I mean, it, you know, he is funny because he says everything with an absolute straight face. One of the um, breakout characters on that show was uh, the the sports reporter Alan Partridge, played yeah. by Steve Coogan. I was thinking of a bit from uh, the day today in which Alan Partridge is trying to describe the seeding system of the World Cup using right. a sort of physical <laughs> device that he's like tripping all over and just yes. he yes. cannot manage. Um, it's a really amazingly a hilarious scene. T- tell me a little bit about how um, uh, how uh, the folks at the day today and Steve Coogan c- came up with this just bizarre, dumb as a rock character. Well, uh, I mean, when I was doing the radio show on the hour, I, I wanted a sports reporter, and I wanted and Steve is you know is great at voices and characters, and I asked him to come up with a a sports reporter voice that didn't that wasn't a direct impression of anyone but sounded like an amalgam of every sports reporter you ever heard and he suddenly um he came out with this voice which obviously I can't do well he he does it much better than me which is why he made a career out of it but um he suddenly opened his mouth and this this voice this slightly earnest but also still not not quite not quite serious, not quite as serious as a normal news reporter. Someone with a little bit of light entertainment uh, in his voice came out. And the moment it happened, we all knew everything about this guy. We, we knew what his aspirations were. Somebody actually said, his name is Alan. And someone else said, yes, and he's a partridge. You know, it really just <laughs> all spilled out. It's almost like this character arrived fully formed. Let's hear Alan Partridge announcing a horse race. Now time for sport with Alan Partridge. Thanks, Chris. And over at Sandown this afternoon, there was a great finish to the 3.30 Chicory Tip Incest Cup. We'll take up the race with two furlongs to go. Novelty Bubble on the inside. Novelty Bubble followed by Immaculate Pasta. Christ's Chin coming up on the inside, followed by Abba the Horse and Alf Ramsey's Porn Dungeon. Coming at the rear, Sinead O'Connor. But Novelty Bubble is holding his own with Immaculate Pasta... Christ's chin! Christ's chin! Abba the horse on the inside. Small Town Gypsy Massacre gaining ground, closely followed by Epileptic Fridge Boy. Sinead O'Connor, third, but uh, no, it seems to me that Christ's chin and Astonishing Bomb Queen are nowhere because it's Small Town Gypsy Massacre, Alf Ramsey's Porn Dungeon, Sinead O'Connor. No, Christ's chin one. I got confused. And that race was marred by an earlier incident in which champion jockey Lester Piggott fell from his horse and had to be destroyed. I remember the first couple of interviews that we did, and we, we kind of liked to improvise the, uh, the, 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 the sketches, and Steve's very good at improvising. And we gave him a couple of improvisations in which he had to interview fictional sports characters and become obsessed with their groin injuries, because, I, I mean, I don't know... <laughs> I don't know how it's reported in the US, but 
a lot of football news, a lot of soccer news in the, in the UK is, 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 is all about various players being out of action because of groin injuries. And, and there seems to be absolutely no flinching or, or inhibition or embarrassment about detailing the extent of the groinal damage done that week to a top player. Um, and so we thought it'd be quite funny if, uh, if Alan interviewed various um, sports people, including like, you know, show jumpers and lady badminton players and so on, and started talking about their groin injuries in some detail. Over at Hickstead for the show jumping now, and I grabbed a few moments with Lucinda Green. Lucinda Green, you stayed on your horse all the way round. You must be pretty chuffed. Well, I stayed on, but I had a very low score, so I'm feeling I can do a lot better next time, I hope. Yeah, but uh, still, you hit all the right fences. One thing that sort of troubles me is your groin strain. How bad is it? Any torn ligaments? I've been told it's a bit like a guitar string snapping. Uh, no. I, I didn't have any strain of that sort. Surely the uh, taking off the landing, there must be a strange kind of pressure on the groinal area. I was wondering how the kind of you cope with the impact. Yeah, I think you've got the wrong rider. I don't have any groin strain at all. How do you deal with the inevitable muscular spasms and pains that must rack the groinal area? I don't have any pain whatsoever. <laughs> I love the uh, sense of humour you got there. Listen. Uh, and Steve was great because he knows nothing about sports, so he was able to give this character, <laughs> Alan, a kind of clumsy uh, ineptitude, really, which you couldn't really write. I feel like it's almost beyond clumsy ineptitude. I mean, he really, it's a character who really is intensely competent at at the sort of mechanics of being on television yes. without yes. any knowledge at all of what he's re like literally there's a there's one where he's interviewing some jockeys he does yes. not under seem to understand how horse racing operates no or he doesn't really understand why a jockey is so small I mean, he finds <laughs> it absolutely hilarious that he's talking to someone who's very tiny what led you to think uh, that it would be a good idea to take this character out of this really uh tight sort of sketchy context and yeah. put him in, in the real world well alan as i said you know when the character formed he, he almost came with his own little life story and we knew that he started off as a, a sports reporter but we knew he he must have had this inferiority complex, as I think all sports journalists do, that they are being looked down upon by the serious news journalists who regard them as being a little bit light. Um, and I think Alan thought this, and he was in a news programme, but as the sports reporter, and I think he felt a little bit laughed at by the others. So, so and, and, and we, we, we gave him this ambition, really, which was to become a, a chat show host. And, and in fact, he had one. He had one on the radio, which then transferred to television called Knowing Me, Knowing You. But again, his ineptitude prevails so that by the end of it, the head of the BBC uh, uh, is a guest on the show. <laughs> Alan asks him if the show is going well and if he's got a second series, so if he's being recommissioned. <laughs> the guest, the, the head of the BBC doesn't give an answer. It's a Christmas show. So Alan, meantime, is stuffing a turkey, <laughs> uh, at which point Alan lunges out with a turkey on his fist and punches um, the head of the BBC <laughs> in the face, uh, causing the head of the BBC to say, Alan, you will never work on television again. And that's how this show ended. And we thought, well, what happened if that was the case? You know, we've invented this character who lives and breathes for television. 
what happens if we took that world away from him? Um, which was why we ended up doing a, a sitcom in which he was in the real world. No, he still had his ambitions. He still had, um, you know, the ambition and dream to get back on television. So he he had a radio, a local radio show in a, in a, in a place called Norwich, which is about, I don't know, about 150, 200 miles from London. Uh, but he wanted to be near London because that's where all the TV work was. So, so we, we thought he'd live in a hotel, a motorway hotel, uh, equidistant between Norwich and London. So, so somewhere about 75 <laughs> miles from London, in in just on a busy, off a busy road, really. No, nowhere, nowhere pretty. Uh, and we put Alan in this hotel, and we had him living there for up to a year. You know, hoping that every every week, you know, he was convincing himself it was going to be the last week he stayed at that hotel. And here's a clip of Alan at the Travel Tavern flirting with the girls at the reception desk. Good morning, Alan. How are you today? Classic queen. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? <laughs> like, the, uh, like those earrings. Are they gold? Yes, they're old gold. Yeah. Well, that's not really gold, is it? But, uh, very nice. Yeah. Like, uh, like little tears, little wax tears dripping from your ears because they're sad. <laughs> Don't cry ears, you're on the side of a lovely head. <laughs> oh. A good show this morning? There was a belter, did you hear it? No. Oh. Um, any messages? Just the one, from Bill Oddie. Oh. Did you leave a message? No. No, it never does. <laughs> um, right, well, I'm afraid, Susan, I've got some very bad news. Oh? I'm leaving you, you cow! <laughs> so, uh, so it's a bit of a joke there, backfire. <laughs> No, I'm basically just saying I'm, I'm going to be checking out at the end of the week. Are you going back to your wife? No, no, God, Carol, no, God, no. No, no, she's uh, living with uh, the fitness instructor. Yeah. He, he, uh, he provides all her uh, sexual uh, intercourse. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm uh, dry skin and flaking again. Apology. Ten years on, with ha- having seen shows like um, uh, The Office and Curb Your yeah. Enthusiasm, it, it makes a lot of sense um, that a show could be built around, uh, a sitcom could be built around a main character who um, is sort of boorish and, and doesn't understand the reactions of the people around him in the way that he should. Yes. But that there wasn't a lot of precedent for that when you when you created uh, I'm Alan Partridge. What are the mechanics of putting together a sitcom where your protagonist's main activity is sort of, I don't know, alienating other people? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you don't. It's very you don't theorize about these things. I mean, someone like Alan is someone who, after about five or. 10 minutes in your company you you instinctively want to punch in the face (laughs) so we found that you know when we were writing for him as it were we would just try to think of as many ways in which he could be metaphorically punched in the face Um, (laughs) but as i say he must never he must never yield he must never take that as a defeat so there's an element of artificiality in it like about it well also I, you know i'm surprised by the number of people who tell me that they watch it and they they sort of cringe but they also wish alan well you know we don't he's not an evil man he's just a man who is slightly out of place on this planet so you kind of feel a little <laughs> bit sorry for him really um 
un, you know, unlike E.T., he doesn't have another home to go to <laughs> or people to come and rescue him. You know, he is sort of stuck here. Um, and so he's built his own little world in his head, which is that he is a top-class entertainer. And uh, I mean, he's a radio, he's a radio um, presenter, really. And so he has the gift of being able to keep talking, really. Um, de- as you yourself know, you know, there's dead no- air, dead air is a crime. There's nothing uh, more on, pathetic on. than a radio host. I know that. Uh, no, no, no. I'm not saying that. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, as long as you say, it doesn't really matter what you say, as long as you say, say something. <laughs> because if people, you know, if you said, um, if you were hosting a show and said, do you know, I'm just going to have a little think about this before I talk. And then just went quiet for a minute. Um, that would be bad radio. So you've got to keep going uh, no matter what it is you're saying. And Alan has that gift, you know, uh, uh, he, he has this ability to fill space with um, inconsequential uh, nonsense, really. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the British comedy writer, director and performer Armando Iannucci. He's got a new film coming to the United States called In the Loop. We'll have more with Armando Iannucci when we come back in just a minute. Production of The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. Thousands of people across the world already listen to Jordan Jesse Go every week, but do you? Jordan Jesse Go is a freely flowing comic conversation with me, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart, and my comedian and TV host super pal, Jordan Morris, boy detective. Not to mention awesome guests like Rob Corddry, Martin Starr, and Andy Daly, to name a few. Jordan Jesse Go is an iTunes staff favorite and a great way to keep your head up in difficult times. It's 75 minutes or so of good times every week delivered to your iPod free of charge. Just visit MaximumFun.org and click on Jordan Jesse Go or search for Jordan Jesse Go in iTunes today. You'll be glad you did. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Armando Iannucci, the man behind some of Britain's best satire. So... Your new movie, uh, In the Loop, which which I saw a few weeks ago and is uh, spectacularly hilarious, is all right. Okay, thank you. Um, is in part based on a, a television series that that you've done in the UK called The Thick of It. Now, this show is set in a world of government that we don't see a lot of on television. It's sort of um, it's sort of people in between. Uh, the people on the ground and the people who uh, make decisions blundering their way through the corridors of power, like trying to figure yeah. out what power they actually have and, and what power they actually yes. don't have. And I suppose the, the U.S. equivalent would be maybe staffers within a, a government uh, department like the Treasury or the State Department or, or, or something Maybe the like Department of the Interior. It's the Ministry of Social Affairs in ministry the Ministry of Social Affairs, program. which is a, a fictional ministry. We don't actually have that in, in the UK, but it, it, it allows social affairs uh, can mean anything. So it allows <laughs> us to have a government department that does everything, <laughs> you know, looks after housing, immigration, passports, a bit of law, a bit of education, a little bit of finance, a bit of transport, you know. it, uh, And we see a cabinet minister who thinks that he has power, but who who doesn't really, because that power is all centralised. And the main relationship really is between the minister and and the prime minister's main uh, 
um, enforcer, I suppose, uh, called Malcolm Tucker. Um, he is the sort of, uh, I don't know, the Rahm Emanuel or the Karl Rove, the kind of the dominant personality behind the power who is manipulating and controlling uh, not only the other politicians, but but um, the media access to, to, to those politicians. Here's a clip from In the Loop. Cabinet Minister Simon Foster and his aide Toby are unexpected envoys to Washington. When they arrive at their hotel, they realize they should make some plans for the evening. Toad? Hi. Hi. What are we going to um, do tonight? We're going to do tonight? Yes, I, what are we up to? My, my chief aide? <laughs> well, I, yeah, I mean, I, I sort of thought tonight we'd probably be just a bit tired, really. Yes. No, I, I am tired, but I'm also a career politician, Toby, in, in, in the political powerhouse of the world for 48 hours, and I thought it might be nice to, you know, go out rather than just sitting in my room trying to spank one out over a shark documentary because I'm scared if I watch a porno it'll end up in the register of members' interests. So, what have you got? The movie uh, In the Loop, it takes a sort of dual or, or parallel look at similar events unfolding in this ministerial office in the UK and yeah. in a, a departmental office in the United States. Yes, yes, in the State Department. What was the reason that you wanted to bring the United States into it? Was it to sort of reshape the the way that people in England were looking at, at their own government? Well, it was more, you know, there was something there was something about what went on in the in the build up to the invasion of iraq the the sort of lack of preparation the sort of wishful thinking the uh, the you know terrible stories that you know rumsfeld would ask people when he was recruiting for people to actually run iraq once they invaded he would ask people if they spoke arabic and if they said yes he would say well you can't go because the fact you speak arabic means that you have pro arab sympathies <laughs> so they then we're running this country without anyone who could speak the language. You know, and it's when you hear things like that, which, again, are sort of farcical in a way. And also when we in the UK watched our politicians become slightly starstruck with George Bush and Condoleezza Rice and Rumsfeld, you know, Tony Blair and Jack Straw and the, 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 the UK forces that went out to Washington um, suddenly got rather excited, I think. Um, rather like, you know, English actors going out to Hollywood for the first time. You know, they'll take meetings with anyone. Um, they think it's all very exciting. They think their career is, you know, turned a corner. Uh, uh, and then they go home from L.A. feeling slightly soiled because nothing really happened. And I, I think there was something fundamentally sad about, you know, the way the UK was linked towards George Bush's government in, in the build-up to Iraq. And I just thought that was a story that was worth worth analysing a bit more. It's interesting that you bring up that show business parallel, yeah. because that was something I thought a lot about as I was watching the movie. There's this quality of... Uh, of desperation and of everyone looking for a person who actually has power and trying to attach themselves to yes. ideas and concepts that are on their way up. 
Yes. Was it but, was it partly reflective of of your own exp- I know that you you sort of came out briefly and then just kind of went back home to Hollywood when when they were making an American version of the thick Yes, of it. I mean the film is based quite a lot on my own experience of going out to to Hollywood and um yes, they wanted to make a TV version an, an American version of the thick of it. And you get flown out and you think, oh, this is very exciting. And, and you meet lots of people called vice president. So vice president <laughs> commissioning comedy, vice president development acquisitions scenarios, vice president. And they're all about 23. And you think because they're called vice president, they must know what they're talking about. And then you realize there's about 40 of them and none of them know what they're talking about. And uh, I was in a, a, my one uh, creative input to the making of the American pilot was I went to a meeting called a tone meeting, which had about 40 people in it to discuss the color of the ties and the jackets that the <laughs> cast were going to. And, uh, you know, and they said it was a terrific honor to have me there at that meeting, whereas I could clearly see that this was their <laughs> one sop to the creator before um, he was shunted out of the project so that he could get on with it. And, um, you know, lots of really good people were attached to it, and Mitch Hurwitz was, you know, writing it, and Christopher Guest was directing it. But it was that thing of a big, big machine throwing every resource it had at something, whereas, in fact, it would just have been better for three people to quietly go away in a room and, and do it themselves. And, and And I just thought that was quite interesting, the fact that you're so easily guiled by the um you know the big noise that a place like um hollywood and, and la makes that you you fail to realize that that big noise is mostly talking nonsense um you're just impressed by the volume um and i and i i thought there might be a parallel there with the way the british politicians came out to washington and again were quite overwhelmed um, and it took them a while to realize that they were dealing with people who were equally um, at a loss as to what to do. Probably the most powerful uh, of the half a dozen or so main characters in the film is a yeah. general played by James Gandolfini. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it seems like much of the authority that he has um, uh, seems to just come from the sort of moral authority of having killed people. That's right. Yes. That's about James actually went to the Pentagon for a couple of days to do a bit of research. And, and he said he took various four star generals out for lunch and asked them, you know, have you ever killed anyone? Because his character is asked this question in the, in the, in the movie. And he says their answers were very interesting because, you know, he'd say to a general, have you ever killed anyone? And the general would go, have I ever killed anyone? Um, let me think. Um, <laughs> you know, Tom. Have I ever killed anyone? Yeah, yes, I have. Yes, I have, apparently. Yes, yes. Um, he also <laughs> went to the Pentagon Barbers to get a haircut, so he had the genuine the genuine look. I am a voracious breeder. I am the Gore Vidal of the Pentagon. Gore's gay. Oh, he's not. I beg to differ, but... He's gay? Because I've been saying that, the Gore Vidal line. He is gay. Guess I better stop saying that, then. It's ridiculous. The case against war is far stronger than the case for war, and the case for war is caveated all to hell. I mean, look at this. Most analysts believe the state is looking to expand aggressively beyond its borders. So then you look down at the caveats. The only source is Iceman. Exactly. A possible alcoholic. He probably does 10 bags of methamphetamine a day, the Iceman. If he even exists. 
The INR says we can't trust him. We're, we're, we're disputing our own intelligence here. I know. I mean, is Linton read this thing? I don't think Linton reads. Even the most um, virtuous of the characters in this film have basically accidentally stumbled stumbled into virtue in the pursuit of self-interest. Yes. Um, yes. And and you know many of the many of the worst characters in this in the film um, find themselves sort of similarly lost. Yes, and I, and I yes. wonder if, in the service of this, uh, if if writing this film about these people that are essentially working in the service of this thing that you, uh, I'm going to guess, are not crazy about, which is, you know, starting a war in Iraq. Yeah. Um, if you found, um, if you found the characters sympathetic, if if you mm-hmm. if you cared about these people who, you know, were starting a war with their sort of combination of uh, of incompetence and self-interest and, you know, structural nightmare. Yeah. Um, I think you do. It's interesting. I mean, Malcolm, who on paper is the villain from the UK, he does, because he takes on the, uh, takes on the White House, there is an element, as people are watching, of them cheering him on, which I find slightly, <laughs> slightly disturbing. <laughs> but, you know, that's their due. And, and, and what I wanted to do was not signal what it was you were meant to think about each character do you know i i didn't want you know i didn't want to say these are the good guys these are the bad guys um when this person does something there'll be some music that is very up has an is, is in the is in the major key and is very uplifting and and tells you to like this person and when this character comes in there's going to be a sinister piece of music and the lighting's all going to be a bit dark and shady and you're going to think of him as being a little bit uh on the on the, on the dark side and so on i didn't want that because i think in the end it, it, you're judged not by when you're in politics you're judged not by your character but by your actions really and so I wanted some people who might actually be unlikable to do the right thing and other people who you think you might like uh, making the wrong decisions. And, 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 and it's up, up to you, the, the audience, to kind of decide what you would do under those circumstances as well. Let's hear a scene from In the Loop. Here, the hapless cabinet minister, Simon Foster, is approached by the press, who've latched on to his ill-advised suggestion that, quote, War is unforeseeable. I really, really hope there isn't a war. It's going to be a nightmare. It's bad enough having to cope with the f-ing Olympics. Minister, oh, this is your chance okay. to name the line. Do you want to name the line? Okay. I'll Wait. Hello there. Hi. So, is war unforeseeable, Minister? Look, uh, all sorts of things that are actually very likely are also unforeseeable. For the plane in the fog. Um, the mountain is un- unforeseeable, but then it is suddenly very real and inevitable. Right. Is, is uh, this your the, opinion uh, or, the, the or plan- is this the, the government the, position? The mountain no. in the metaphor is a completely hypothetical mountain that could represent I, anything. I, I, sorry, who, who, Minister, I, I'm, I'm unclear. What, it, yeah. what, what I'm saying is that to walk the road of peace, sometimes we need to be ready to climb the mountain of conflict. Thank you so much. So now that you're an acclaimed filmmaker, and an acclaimed filmmaker you certainly are, there's a lot of four and five star reviews uh, that I've seen of this movie, and I'm I'm inclined to agree. I thought it was pretty spectacularly hilarious. All oh, right. Um, 
uh, are you uh, do you have any interest in something that's been talked about for a million quadrillion years, uh, uh, a movie uh, with uh, Alan Partridge in it? Um, I, I think uh, what I'd like to do is is see if we can come up with a story that justifies doing a movie. And if we can't come up with a story, then we won't make a film version. And if we can, then we'll take it to the next stage, I suppose, really. Uh, uh, um, I think there has to be a reason for it and why something like that isn't just an extended TV show. Um, but I also want to avoid that thing that sometimes happens of when, when, a, when, a, when a movie is made of a, of a TV character, the instinct is to just go very, very big and, and spectacular to signal that it's a movie. And I, and I kind of want to avoid that as well. Armandu, thank you so much for uh, taking all this time out of your editing schedule to be on The Sound That's of Young right. America. It was so great to have you. Armando Iannucci's fantastically hilarious new film, In the Loop, opens July 24th in select theaters in the United States and in staged release thereafter. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I've been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart, the show produced by Speaking Into Microphones, our theme music written and performed by Dan Grayson with help from myself, interstitial music provided by Dan Wally, the show edited by Nick White, our intern is John Kim. Armando was recorded on extraordinarily late notice by the BBC comedy producer Colin Anderson in London. Thank you, Colin. By the way, you should really check out uh, the very cool radio show that Colin produced with the English comedian Josie Long. Just Google Josie Long, All of the Planet's Wonders. Josie Long, All of the Planet's Wonders. You can listen to it on the BBC website. Great. Very funny. Uh, Great to listen to. Speaking of things you can check out after this week's show, stay tuned. We're going to start running some promos for some of our favorite podcasts and some of the podcasts of our pals after The Sound of Young America, folks who have been, in many cases, kind enough to run uh, promos for The Sound of Young America on their podcast. People are always asking me uh, what shows they should listen to. They say, you know, I'm two hours on the subway. I don't know what shows to listen to. There's so many podcasts, and most of them are terrible. So we're going to try and point you towards some good ones. We'll see you next time right here on The Sound of Young America. Hello, everybody. My name is Jimmy Pardo. I'm uh, the host of the very popular podcast, Never Not Funny. We are popular in both a free and paid format. Your choice. I prefer you go with the latter. Uh, I am alongside my co-host, who's also the producer, who's also uh, got the new nickname, The Entrepreneur. His name is Matt Belknap. How you doing? I'm doing okay, Matt. Thanks. I appreciate you asking. Um, I said thanks. No, you did. (laughs) A, and I guess Jesse Thorne, who is the host of The Sound of Young America, right. who is a, a delightful man and funny in his own right. And a friend of ours. A terrific friend and a close guy. I would call him in a heartbeat if my car broke down, but it won't because I've got a new car. <laughs> uh, he asked us to put together a little 30-second commercial, and I don't know what to do for that, so I'm just going to talk nonstop. Well, the good news is we're already over time. <laughs> All right, great. So uh, listen, this is a, if you like what you just heard, listen to our podcast. Yeah, just go to podcast.com. Everything you need is right there. We have comedians, actors. Broadcasters, yeah, uh, from funny uh, people doing funny stuff. We're just talking, enjoying ourselves, making each other laugh. Podcast.com. Please join us.